Greetings and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and many others. Podcast episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM, Richmond. If you want to reach us, you can send questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. With that housekeeping handled, let's turn our attention now to today's guest. We're excited to be joined by Dr. Stephen Noble, a cardiothoracic surgeon and medical director of Chesapeake Regional Healthcare's Long Nodule Program. In addition to being a physician leader, Dr. Noble is a U.S. Navy veteran, an author, an entrepreneur, a healthcare consultant, a father, a grandfather, and more. So we've got a good bit of ground to cover in our brief time together. Before we get started, though, let's welcome him to the show. Dr. Noble, thanks for being with us. Julian, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we appreciate you taking time to be with us. Let's work backwards here a little bit. For people who may not be familiar with the term cardiothoracic, please tell us a bit of a high-level overview of the field of medicine and tell us a bit about your work as a surgeon, such as the types of conditions you're involved in treating at Chesapeake Regional. Great. Thank you for that. As a cardiothoracic surgeon, I surgically treat and manage diseases inside the chest. Here at Chesapeake Regional Healthcare, this is primarily lung cancer, but includes other conditions related to those body structures inside the chest, including the lungs, heart, nerves, the diaphragm, and the chest wall. And so you said a lot of that is lung cancer. What might be the other kinds of conditions that you might be involved in treating surgically? And I know you also do robot-assisted surgery as well. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Correct. So some of the other conditions aside from lung cancer, it can be conditions in regards to what we call a pneumothorax. A patient may come in with a collapsed lung, and so we may treat that initially with a chest tube. They may follow along and get a CT scan, and that CT scan may show some what we call blebs or pockets of air or little bleb out pouches in the lung in which that has to be surgically removed. Doing robotic surgery is something that I love to do. I kind of tell my patients it's like playing a video game. (laughs) And so in doing that, we put small instruments inside the chest and then we connect the robot to the patient. And then I'm actually sitting about six feet away from the patient, controlling and manipulating the arms of the robot. And by doing it that way, we're able to perform pretty complex operations, but allow the patient to resume their normal activities pretty quickly. We've been able to perform this operation uh, here in Chesapeake Regional Health care and have really been impressed with the outcomes as well as the return to work. Patients are usually staying in the hospital about one and a half to three days. And so with that, really able to get back to the activities that they normally like to do. It is fascinating the way advances in technology have really shortened recovery time. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and giving us a rundown. I also mentioned that you are a Navy veteran. Obviously, you're in the Hampton Roads area there at Chesapeake, which is home to a significant share of military installations, including the largest naval air station, or naval base, I should say, in the U.S. Tell us just a little bit about your naval service and what you did during your years in the Navy. Yeah, it's a great question. It's a dream come true, really, as far as that service. Growing up, I was inspired with the Navy from the standpoint of my grandparents. My grandfathers were both merchant marines, so they're always out on the ship. But when I got to medical school, it was really around my first year in medical school that 9-11 took place. And that was really shocking and jarring and inspired me to take the HPSB scholarship, Health Service Professional Scholarship, with the Navy. I was fortunate enough to do my residency as a civilian at Oregon Health Science University. I knew that I wanted to do trauma surgery. 
And so it really felt like the quickest way for me to become a trauma surgeon and really help out in the effort was to go through the civilian route. Was fortunate enough to be stationed at 29 Palms, California, down in the Mojave Desert, spending some time with the Marines and got a great appreciation for those men and women that really serve in the Marines. And uh, I came out here to Naval Medical Center Portsmouth in 2015 to 2018 after I finished my heart and lung surgery training at the Ohio State University and was able to deploy to Afghanistan in 2016 to 2017 with Operation uh, Resolute Support. And was definitely to be able to be deployed, to be able to help the Afghan nationals as well as our own sort of special operators and service members was truly a dream come true. To really work that closely with men and women all on the same team was really great, especially to do what we were all trained to do, and that's uh, provide great top-notch care in uh, pretty isolated and uh, remote locations. Well, thank you for your service, and I will let you know that our CEO here at the Hospital Association also is a former merchant marine, so I'm going to share that with him. So uh, when you guys have occasion to bump into each other at some point, you'll have something in common there. Then you just mentioned some of your educational matriculation, which actually is a great segue to our next question. As I read through your bio, and let me say I read this through the prism of my own selfish sports fandom, that I noticed you have some Big Ten Conference academic stops along the way, including medical school at Indiana, and then as you mentioned, cardiothoracic surgery fellowship at Ohio State. And then I know we did talk about your naval service, and then also your undergrad studies were at Xavier in New Orleans. So I just wonder out of curiosity, and this is a loaded question, did you pick up any rooting interest along the way? Yes, indeed. Uh, Xavier University of Louisiana is a second home, and I love New Orleans. So for professional football, I'm a Saints fan. As it relates to college football, I am a Buckeye fan. So Ohio State is a team I root for for uh, college football. As it relates to college basketball, I am an Indiana Hoosier fan. So if I do watch uh, college basketball, I'm definitely going to be rooting for the Hoosiers. And for my professional NBA sports team, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm a big Damian Lillard fan. So uh, go Rip City. He had 60 points last night. Um, he did. He did. <laughs> well, I will tell you, I'm not going to hold this against you, but I've lived many places in my life, including Michigan, and so I am a Wolverines fan. They had a an unfortunate end to the season in the playoffs, but I will not bring up the result of the rivalry game and certainly won't hold that against you as we continue this interview. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) In addition to your clinical work, you've devoted time, effort, and resources to charting pathways for people of color to see the possibilities and opportunities of careers in healthcare or in other science, technology, and engineering disciplines, which you've advanced through something called the Delano Gaming Initiative. Getting more people of color into these fields is important because of the legacy of underrepresentation, but also because particularly in healthcare, the sector faces both current and future projected workforce shortages. Uh, We track this data here in Virginia. We have something called the Onboard Virginia Initiative, which is a workforce development and recruiting program. And right now, there are more than 11,000 hospital job openings across the Commonwealth of Virginia, which really puts that in context. So with that bit of background, I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about your work in trying to create these pathways for future generations, particularly among people of color. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, when I look back on my upbringing, I can't help but recall the times I was as a child, spending time on my grandparents' living room floor, just looking at the encyclopedia and being just mesmerized by the human body. Fast forward to my love for video games. I first got in love on the Commodore 64 and then graduated to the Nintendo. And throughout high school, college, med school, I was always playing video games. And it was really my son's interest, my youngest son's interest in video games that really got got me inspired to really try to see if there was a way to kind of, instead of taking the video game away from him as a 
stick to try to use it as a carrot. And that led to the initiation of the Delano Gaming Initiative to really leverage that love that students and kids have for video games and technology. And when I looked at my own sort of military career and being fascinated that we could fly drones in Afghanistan with the pilots in, you know, in, in the United States, it really made me ask that question. If we can do this technology to drop bombs, why can't we use this technology to advance medicine or other features? And so that really inspired me to really try to encourage kids to pursue careers in the STEAM field, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, and use that love for video games, whether it's Fortnite, whether it's Roblox. My youngest daughter loves playing Roblox. Try to use that as an interest to get them inspired to, A, go to college, and seeing that there's esports scholarships for young people to go to a college of their choosing in which they can take that love beyond just a hobby and now use it to advance their careers, get a scholarship to go to a university, and then who knows what the future may hold. Some of them may become robotic surgeons, but some of them may end up working for Amazon and potentially flying drone packages from point A to point B, or even as we see in medicine, now we have organ transplants being transported via drone flights. And so I think the sky's the limit. And as we move forward in technology, I think that really inspiring children as young as they possibly can to pursue their dreams is something that we aim to do. It's a great point about the fact that finding a way to relate material to people on terms they understand really can open up eyes and open up doorways. I will say I have a 10-year-old and he spends more time than I would like on Fortnite and on (laughs) Oculus Virtual Reality. So it's a good point. Listen, you got to reach them where they are, which is a great point. Continuing on the same theme for a moment more, you're also the author of a children's book named The Heart of the Hero, the Dr. Daniel Hale Williams story, and you're an associate producer on Black Men in White Coats, a documentary about the dearth of black men applying to medical school. Tell us about these projects, if you will, and also your views on the power of storytelling to really reach people and to inform them and perhaps to influence or persuade them to look at life differently or consider a path that had not occurred to them before. That's a great question. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Drs. Daniel and Dale Okudarudu, who really started the Black Men in White Coats. And it was really understanding that 2% of physicians are black men and how when you look at the medical school graduates of black men, it's less now than what it was back in 1978. And so with that, Dr. Okudarudu put together a, a documentary. And when I heard the vision from Dr. Dale about this documentary, I jumped on board full steam ahead to really lend my support. It was through one of the conferences there in Chicago, the Black Men and White Coats conferences, that I heard Senator Dick Durbin talk about my hero, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, who has roots in Chicago for starting the first interracial hospital in the United States in Chicago at Providence. His storytelling of that, uh, the Black Man White Coat Summit, really inspired me to write a children's book. And with that, worked with Dr. Dale to write The Heart of the Hero. And it was really to get back to what I mentioned before about being that five-year-old kid. My hope was to really inspire, you know, young people to just really pursue their dreams. They don't have to pursue medicine, but just understand that some of the greatest heroes of America had trials and tribulations that they were able to overcome and get through it and to be able to accomplish great things. And the great thing about the Dr. Daniel Hill Williams story is that for him to start this interracial hospital, it really took the whole community together, having sponsors both in the black community, but also in the white community. And for him to perform the first successful open heart surgery there at Providence Hospital in the midst of the black nurses that he had trained, starting a black nursing school, as well as the white physicians that were there with him that helped open up the hospital and service that community was truly impactful. And I think that his story is an American story of the power of when we come together as a community for a common good to provide health for the community, we can do amazing things. 
Absolutely. And also a good reminder about the importance of the journey. It can feel difficult when you're in the middle of it during the struggle, but having faith and persevering and coming out the other side is so powerful. And then also just a reminder of really the goodness of humanity. We are so often bombarded with stories that can shake our faith, but Hearing those stories of accomplishment and of collaboration across racial lines, across gender lines, really are powerful. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective. Before we let you go, Dr. Noble, it is a tradition on this podcast to ask each of our guests a pair of fun personal questions to give our listeners a bit more of a sense of who they are beyond the work they do. To keep things interesting, we have a list of 10 mystery questions. So I'd like you to pick two numbers between 1 and 10, and then I will ask you the corresponding questions. All right, 3 and 9. 3. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, and why does it stick with you? Ooh, my father always used to say, shoot for the stars, because even if you miss, you'll end up on the moon and you'll be further than you were before. And that is actually, you know, the picture, one of the dedication page for my book features the moon and the stars. And that is something that sticks with me to this day. Throughout my life, when I really felt like I couldn't do something, that saying would always encourage me to reach beyond what I thought I possibly could. And I was always amazed that I might not have reached my ultimate goal, but the goal that I did reach or the spot that I did end up was a lot further than had I not done anything. Absolutely. Aim high. And then you also selected number nine. And that question is, if you were miraculously granted one wish, what would you wish for? Oh, I would wish that everyone would be able to have one wish as well. Okay. That is generous and magnanimous. Well, (laughs) that brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. We want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Stephen Noble, a physician leader and cardiothoracic surgeon with Chesapeake Regional Healthcare for being with us today. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.